2: episode is this 24 it looks like it we've decided to do this just one long season (laughs) the the entire podcast is just one season i
1: I think there was a time where we thought we would divide it but there was no natural delineation
2: there's a part of my brain that's like what if just in the middle of a random month we just (laughs) just start a new season
1: I mean, I feel like hey, that's what's going to happen.
2: <laughs> let us know what you want, listeners. Do you want another season? Would it make a difference to you if this was broken up into seasons? If it, said, is it all just a bunch of episodes? If it
1: said, for example, <laughs> season two, episode three, instead of season one, episode 24.
2: It does feel a little aggressive, it, I will say. There's,
1: but if you look at the dates they were published, it's less sure. aggressive.
2: <laughs> yes, we do take a month plus. Between each episode. And I think that's it's good breathing room, if, I, I yeah, always say. I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of work for both of us. We enjoy, enjoy it, it, but you know. We do enjoy it. There you go. So if you are not someone who's been tuning in for all 23 of our previous episodes, <laughs> the uh, the way that this podcast works is that Mora here, our resident historian, brings us a historically badass broad once a month and i don't know anything about it it's a total surprise to me each time and uh, i act as uh, as you and i ask the questions that we're all wondering if we don't know anything about history <laughs> <laughs> or you know we know something about history but but we could we could use to learn a little bit more yeah i i
1: i i love that that's a good characterization because i
2: was going to say you're not completely ignorant in history you actually Know a lot, no? Um, but I'm, I'm a, like a relatively you're well well educated yeah. human being. I like reading. You're extremely like well educated. Victorian novels. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, is that I I did have a very active imagination while growing up, and sometimes that meant that I was daydreaming during really important information, gosh. like. Um, you know the states of the U.S. I will s- general geography.
1: I will say though, the point I think, at least for me, of this podcast is that I didn't necessarily learn about these women either, and I literally this
2: studied history. This is this is the crux of it. That's the this whole point: sure is, is that
1: even if you had been paying attention, would you have heard about these women? No, because the patriarchy. So right,
2: and what's crazy is that these are all in impossibly cool women. They're so cool, it, like, hurts me. Oh, And, uh, I want to know who this week's month's... Oh, boy. I want to know who this month's woman is. So,
1: I'm back on track with my themes. I was trying to find, like, oh, this is the month of blah. And I think, for example, September is the month of National Cat Talk Like a Pirate Day. So, at first, I was not do we need to take a moment on that, I, or is that self-explanatory? I felt confused, and I just moved mm-hmm. on. We're welcome to dive into that. It, it was so sure. specific. Um, mm-hmm. The whole the whole month, or just a day? The whole month, or no? There was a day. Excuse me. There was a single day. I didn't remember the specific day. Forgive me, mm-hmm. listeners. Um, mm-hmm. But it <laughs> it exists. It's not just National Talk Like a Pirate Day. It's Cat Talk Like a Pirate Day.
2: Yeah, actually, I would like some clarification on that. I would too. Cats cats need to speak like pirates. That's what it said. Do you think there's someone sitting on a computer somewhere in their living room, feet up on the coffee table, Mm -hmm. typing and laughing maniacally? about the holidays that they've just created i want that to be the case
1: i have a sneaking suspicion Mm -hmm. that one
2: like was not
1: that case i feel like there's an earnestness behind it i don't know
2: i thought i misheard you the first time i'm gonna be honest really but i didn't no yeah. cat talk like a pirate day cats don't really talk I I mean I well, guess that's your opinion. <laughs> oh my god.
1: No, of course they make sounds. I have an extremely vocal dog myself, so I know they're they're very capable. All I'm saying is mm-hmm. it, 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 Can you force a cat to have a semi offensive Irish accent that sounds
2: like a pirate? The short answer? Yes. Can you explain the long that? Answer, the long answer, we don't have time. Oh, 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 okay, okay.
1: Well, do you yeah. know it's actually interesting we're talking about animals?
2: Okay, yeah.
1: Because- <laughs> Wrap it around. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't even say it's an, it's not a non sequitur, because there was, it is, in fact, following our sequence of thought. Um, this month, next month, September, is also, actually, uh, a month- with a lot of animal conservation and uh, welfare and wildlife preservation and so on and so forth. So I got excited. I wanted to feature a woman who was a animal rights activist or some kind of, Ah. you know, woman in that realm. And I found the weirdest Most exciting woman, whose name I'm going to attempt to not butcher because she is Swedish.
2: Ooh. Um,
1: I listened to a couple pronunciations. This is my best guess. And again, I apologize to the Swedes. Let us know
2: how badly I butchered it. Her name is Lizzie Lynn duff I have no degrees in Swedish, but to me, it sounds perfect. Thank you so much, Chloe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. The validation from a non swede I was going to say, so
1: I did perfectly. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Uh, Her full name is Emily Augusta Louise Lindoff Hagaby, but she was known to all as Lizzie. So I will call her. Lizzie. Lizzie was born, funnily enough, on the 20th of of September in 1878. And it's funny? Yeah, because it's. uh, this is September's episode and
2: she's born in September. Oh, oh I see. Oh, coincidence. Yeah. She's born in September. So- yeah. Okay. I'm back on board. Cool. Cool. She was born into a very wealthy, very noble family.
1: Her grandfather was the Chamberlain to the King of Sweden. Her dad is a prominent lawyer. Um, she was educated the best money could buy. And she ended up ended up being educated at educated at Cheltenham Ladies College, which was in England. And um, she was able, then she made her first foray over to England. She'll spend a lot of her career there. We'll talk about that. Um, But she really finds that, I mean, as in this era, Victorian era, she's able to be like a career woman, but because she's wealthy and her career is mostly like causes that she takes
2: up. If that makes any sense mm-hmm. um yeah i feel like that's at least from my understanding relatively common for yeah. wealthy women yeah if their like hobbies are charity exactly yes whether it's well-intentioned or just for looks yeah <laughs> excellent yeah. that's exactly right um yes and so she
1: is first traveling around she's kind of politically active in opposition to child labor and then in sex Mm -hmm. working. And then Mm -hmm. she starts becoming involved in the women's movement, of course, and women's emancipation. And then she finds kind of her main cause, which is animal rights. And, um, this kind of started because after her time at Cheltenham ladies college, she spent time in Paris. This is around 1900. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was with a friend whose name I didn't look up. Oops. It's, I'm going to go ahead and say it's Lisa
2: Catherine Chartow. Did you make that name up? Nope. So you, so you did look up the name? I No, I looked up the name. I didn't look up the pronunciation. Oh. Forgive me. I, I, you're forgiven. L-E-I-S-A. Lisa. I really don't see how else you would pronounce that. Thank you. And then Catherine is spelled Catherine. And then S. Lisa.
1: Leisa. Like, I think no, it's that was a joke. No, no, no. It could be Lisa, no, no, no. Like Eliza. Oof. It could be Lisa. Okay. I'm going to go say Lisa because we have a Lizzie. I'll get confused. Mm-hmm. And then. Sure. S. C. H. A. R. T. A. U. Chartel. Yeah. Great. Cool. Stunning. So they went to Paris and they visited the Pasteur Institute, like Louis Pasteur. And they saw something called a vivisection. Now, Chloe, do you know what a vivisection is?
2: Weirdly, that
1: is a familiar word, but I It could be because not... it basically <laughs> sounds like exactly what it is. Um, okay. <laughs> also, you could have read about it. Um, it's the practice by which an animal is being experimented upon while still alive.
2: Yes, I did know that word. Yeah.
1: And often not under anesthesia or with any pain relief.
2: I feel like anesthesia was uh, an invention that for a while was not used enough. I think that's a perfectly accurate way to say
1: that because I feel like a lot of people had the concept that it hadn't been invented, but it had.
2: No, no. I I remember reading about it Mm -hmm. existing, but people were like, no, no, we don't need to use that on women. Yeah. Women weren't
1: weren't encouraged to get pain relief for childbirth until well into the 1950s and even right. then it was frowned upon because you know mm-hmm. original
2: sin apparently I took a I took a class in college on the history of like pandemics <laughs> how apt uh yeah it really I'm not sure it actually helped my mental health during this pandemic because I was like oh no I things mean, could go compared wrong Compared to smallpox we're faring okay Yes. I mean, it also really, for anyone who is confused on whether vaccines are a good idea or not, it it really clarified that uh, (laughs) in college. But I I think I remember learning about anesthesia on people of color and Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. They were just like, no, 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 they don't need it. They don't feel pain. They don't feel pain. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, I think people still think.
1: Well, and also, did you know that they didn't, they thought babies didn't feel pain?
2: That's great. Until like the 1980s. They're just crying because it's funny. Like
1: until the 1980s, they (laughs) operated on them without anesthesia.
2: That is so late. It's so late. Okay. Well, this is awful. Okay. So they're operating on... So vivisection is a
1: practice that's extremely popular, if not ubiquitous amongst medical fields. It's the way that they Mm -hmm. learn about things, even though they're operating on animals that aren't necessarily synonymous with the human body, but it's also, these are physiologists. They're not just not necessarily doctors. Um, And so they, how do I, they they basically, there's a lot to say. I have a lot to say. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going through her life because she becomes so um, like she becomes so active that there's a lot to talk about with that. But so initially they, she and her friend, Lisa are at the pastor Institute and they see a vivisection and they are like beyond disturbed which is fair um Mm -hmm. and so when they go back to sweden they join the nordic anti-vivisection society and at the time there's like a lot of this is a time of political movements there's like the anti-vivisection league or society there's the women's movement but there's different kinds there's abolitionism there's all these different kinds of movements and i'm not i i they kind of become linked to each other in specific ways, or certain people become would become suspected of supporting both movements or certain movements. Like it, they kind of all become interconnected mm-hmm. to a degree, especially the women's movement and the anti-vivisection movement. And well, I guess I'll just huh. talk about it now. One of the main reasons
2: behind, I feel like that's not common knowledge.
1: No, and it was something I didn't really know that much about, and I think so. Lizzie feels such a connection between humans and non-humans because technically under the law, women and animals were not regarded as persons.
2: For a second, I really thought you were about to say she was like an animal human hybrid (laughs) or like she was born with a tail. So she really, you know, I know I know you didn't go down that road, but for a second, the world was an exciting, exciting place. But do you know what I will
1: say? We don't know she wasn't.
2: Okay. Do you know what? I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. For the rest of this story, I'll be having my own thoughts. But she has a little tail. Um, <laughs> a little snout, maybe. Little snout.
1: No, she looks, her her face looks normal. No, you were saying a pretty disturbing
2: sentence, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I was.
1: It's a lot. And I think during this time, you start to see a lot of connections between that. Actually, Mary Wollstonecraft in um, The Vindication of the Rights of Women, which was published in Mm -hmm. 1792, basically talked about that. Like, that there was this idea that women and animals had the same rights. Um, One of the main reasons is that you know, the treatment of women by medical doctors who of course are are male at this time and Mm -hmm. animals are the same. And that women, you know, if they have a husband have no rights and animals are defenseless creatures who likewise have no rights and a chance to speak up against their treatment. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you have this link between these two movements and for some, they become completely interchangeable. Like it, feminism and animal rights are the exact same fight and wow. specifically women and like male scientists lizzie saw this as which i love it's a phrase i kept seeing in articles about her they saw this as a battle between feminism and machismo
2: Ooh. which i
1: freaking love that's a great statement
2: great buzzwords great buzzwords we love
1: it um there's also this the vegetarian movement, for the record, is, like, really starting huh. to gain ground. I know. It's older than we thought. In like, 1900? Yeah, earlier, too. Yeah. Wow. But, so the vegetarian movement's coming forth, and it, it also has – there's a – I read an article that was, like, basically every single famous feminist you've ever heard of is a vegetarian. I don't know if i buy that because they were relying on purely circumstantial evidence, but they're mm-hmm. – is a lot of, you see in, for example, menus we still have from feminist rallies and other things that, like, they had a vegetarian option.
2: What? Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, it makes sense with the animal mm-hmm. rights movement. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, But also,
1: apparently, there were, <laughs> you see, uh, get ready for some negative propaganda against women, guys. Um, In mm-hmm. articles written about the anti-vivisection movement and rallies and also the feminist movement, the men writing it, of course, always make sure to mention that like some, all of the women were wearing like feathers in their hats and fur and stuff. And I'm sure that's not actually the case, but obviously not every single woman would view the rights through the same way. So there's, uh, Mm. there's a spectrum, of course, I'm sure where, you know, all denigration of animal life is, is negative and bad. And, um, you shouldn't kind of have any of it. So you shouldn't be wearing fur, leather, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's like the complete vegan movement, if you will. But I think there, I don't think veganism had taken, I don't know if they knew, like, for example,
2: that honey was
1: like, you know, I don't think they knew. So
2: marshmallows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think it was more, I'm going to go out and say it's vegetarianism, but that, that was part of the same thing. And so, you know, it's an interesting thing, but it makes sense because they're, you know, if this is your philosophical more, like you're, you're finding a common thread between defenseless victims. And of course, these women are also often very intense abolitionists because it's the same thing. And you see that with abolitionist movements and anti vivisection movement as well, Um so it it it's directly tied to the progress of all of those movements.
2: um makes
1: sense, yeah. She wrote, hold on. I have a quote that she wrote, which I thought was interesting i'm I'm gonna read it in its entirety because I think one of the things that becomes really awesome about her is that she becomes very famous for being like an intensely amazing orator, so, um, I love reading her words. I read a couple of her books. they were so interesting. um She said that the discovery of evolution was crucial for that discovery, brought about the decay of the old anthropocentric idea of man. It taught that if there is this kinship physically between all living creatures, surely a responsibility rests upon us to see that these creatures who have nerves as we have, who are made of the same flesh and blood as we are, who have minds differing from ours, not in kind but in degree, should be protected as far as in our power lies from ill treatment, cruelty and abuse of every kind. She saw the movements of the greater for the greater freedom of women, for the enfranchisement of women, for their higher education, for the opening up of trades and professions for them, the r- removal of legal disabilities under which women suffer today as one of the practical efforts which are based on the realization of solidarity and kinship. And then she becomes like super anti war, and so she talks about that in a little bit. But I love that basically there is no progress without all progress, you know?
2: Yeah. And
1: I, I love that. I think. This is from her preface to one of her the the book that becomes the most controversial for her, which is called The Shambles of Science. Shambles is another term, I guess, for a slaughterhouse. Um, Oh, yeah. So it's a double meaning, I think. This is her quote from the preface of it. To fight against vivisection is to fight against the principal fortress of the foe of idealism and spiritual evolution. Not until this fortress lies shattered and even its ruins are removed from the face of this earth can we justly claim to possess civilization.
2: It's a strong sentiment. It's so good. She's so good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love, I just, I love her writing. I, I recommend everyone look up what they can. A lot of it's been saved and published, or it was published. Um, she also, like, randomly... <laughs> Published a biography of this like pretty sexist playwright, but she like talked about how he was really sexist, but she liked his work. <laughs> anyway, Ooh. Yeah. interesting. She, you know, death. Um, so we're going back to like nineteen hundred, 1900, nineteen oh one she's back in Sweden with Lisa and they go, they join the Nordic anti-vivisection society. She becomes like the chair of it a year later. And then another year later, so around 1902, Lisa and Lizzie decide to enroll at the London school of medicine for women. Um, They want to have the medical knowledge to be able to become great anti-vivisection activists. So that's, that's their goal. So they start studying there and the women's college itself didn't perform vivisection, but they could, they had visiting rights at other colleges. So she, uh, Lizzie and Lisa attended demonstrations at King's College and University College. And both of these practiced um, vivisection, of course, that was like just de rigueur, you know, people did that. And they kept mm-hmm. a diary about it. Um, and so basically what's really hard, so the, the shambles of science is very difficult to read. Basically every chapter... Um, describes in detail the vivisection that they watch. I'm not going to do that because it's very disturbing and Mm -hmm. it's on its public record. You can go read it. Um, But, you know, it's the idea that animals are being experimented upon without anesthesia in front Mm -hmm. of an audience and Mm -hmm. usually men and um, not usually, pretty much always men. And they're what something that really struck me in this book is as they're watching these experiments they're also basically saying like not only are these not are these cruel to animals but they're not even good experiments like sometimes they f- they fail most of the time because th- they're not necessarily following scientific thought or what they're attempting to do like isn't working because the animals stressed or alive <laughs> Or, um, Mm. yeah, and so what's interesting is, like, it it seems like a futile thing for them to be doing. Like, why is this the way that they've chosen to learn about the function of veins and nerves and so on and so forth? And um, so there's a chapter that they write, and she's very sarcastic, which I kind of appreciate. Um, Mm. She, in a chapter called Fun, Mm Mm-hmm. She talks about a brown terrier dog, which hurts my soul deeply because I have a terrier. Not that it wouldn't hurt my soul anyway, but they actually specifically describe a wire fox terrier, which is the kind I have. And I was like, no, I can't read this chapter. I did. I read it, guys. It was very hard to read. Um, For the record, I was pre-med and I really love science, like this kind of, I love medicine. I love learning about it. And this was very distressing. (laughs) So... They're saying that this dog had been operated on multiple times over a two-month period by several researchers and then dissected without anesthesia in front of an audience of laughing
2: medical students.
1: And that's pretty horrific. What
2: was was different about that chapter? That they were laughing
1: and specifically that this dog had been operated on more than once. And the reason why is because there's a act from 1876 called the Cruelty to Animals Act, which Mm. specified that for that kind of procedure, the animal had to be anesthetized and used once before being euthanized. And there were other licenses that permitted the vivisection of conscious animals, but that wasn't part of that. And so, so they were kind of like breaking the law. Exactly. Exactly. So they were, um, according to the women, and this becomes very legal, um, according to women, the women, Lisa and Lizzie, that the animal had been suffering. You could see, um, it was trying to move and get free. Um, and that the experiment itself like didn't even work and that they Mm -hmm. saw scars from former procedures and that they themselves saw the animal operated on more than once. And that was in violation of the cruelty to animals act. Um, so they show this, could they do anything? Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, get ready. So okay. in April of 1903, they've kept like a 200-page diary, and that's that's the shambles of science. Um, mm-hmm. And they show it to Stephen Coolridge, who's the secretary of the British National Anti-Vivisection Society. That's a mouthful for the record, guys. Whew. <laughs> I got through it, but as I was doing it, I was like, "You're not going to make it. It wasn't going to happen. I couldn't even tell. Couldn't Ugh. even tell. Flawless. Seemed flawless. Oh my god. Thank you. Okay."
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So they show their diary to Stephen Coleridge and that chapter called fun again it's called fun um catches his eye because specifically
2: it was in violation of of that law. And so and It's called fun because the men seem to be having fun with this? Yeah, they were laughing a lot. But I mean that's <laughs> that's a wild title. I know. I'm telling you this is quite a book to read. Well that 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 specific piece of information just clicked for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that was not clear to me until until good. this moment. Yeah, it was called
1: fun. So the scientist who had been operating as William Bayliss, which is a stupid name because he's a stupid man. Um Coleridge accuses him in public of having broken the law and Bayliss responds with a lawsuit. Basically it's like defamation. And mm-hmm. this trial is Wild. It opens in November of 1903. Coleridge tries to get um, Lizzie and Lisa to not publish um, The Shambles of Science, but they refuse and still publish it because basically Coleridge gets accused. It, it's a lot. So Coleridge accuses him in public and then Bayliss is like, yeah, fine. You're going to do that. I'm going to sue you. And then he's like, oh shit, I want to lay low. So Coleridge wants to kind of lay low bayless demands a public apology from him and that's when he starts he not expecting to be sued i don't know they're white men they're just talking out loud i think he didn't think it through that's so bizarre isn't it you know he did say it at the annual meeting of the national anti-vivisection society which was attended by two to three thousand people
2: Oh, so it was like a, a pretty large public accusation. He accused the scientists of sor-
1: torture. Here's the quote. If this is not torture, let Mr. Bayless and his friends tell us in heaven's name
2: what torture is. Oh, so we brought out the dramatics for that one. Yeah. And then the oh, speech was great. published
1: in the Daily News, which was, mm-hmm. by the way, founded by Charles Dickens. And mm-hmm. then questions were raised in the House of Commons. Uh and they wanted to end vivis- vivisection demonstrations. Um, and then basically there's a small investigation and whether or not the Home Secretary is going to take any action about this, you know, supposed violation of the Cruelty to Animals Act. Bayless demands a public apology. And then he um, files a lawsuit and... Yeah, Coleridge tries to get the women not to publish the diary. They go ahead and publish it and the trial moves forward. So in 1903 in November, this trial opens. um, Basically, so Starling, so Bayless and Starling are the two scientists and Starling doesn't decide to move forward with a lawsuit. I don't think he cared that much, to be honest. Um, And so they open Bayless's barrister lawyer. Um, calls Starling as the first witness and he admits that he had broken the law by using the dog twice so he he fully says it but he says he did it to avoid sacrificing two dogs
2: interesting defense
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
1: But you say you broke that specific law, which is that. And then Bayless says that... If, I, mm-hmm. if I'm not wrong, yes.
2: your reasons for breaking a law don't usually matter if you broke the law, right? Don't usually, but yeah. Like if you steal and you're like it's because I was hungry and needed food, they're like, yeah, well, you still stole. So it, it, in America currently, it depends on the judge. Back
1: okay. in the early 20th century, you're very right.
2: <laughs> okay, great. There's like I'm just thinking of Jean Valjean. I, I, I was gonna mean? say
1: I'm sensing some lemmes there.
2: Well, I saw a TikTok. Of a girl who was looking at a, uh, <laughs> there was like a tray of fresh bread outside of a bakery. <laughs> and she was like, my intrusive thoughts are about to make me 24601. Oh my and God. like Mis playing underneath it. That's... That TikTok's been on my mind. Uh, I just wanted to somehow mention it in this podcast. i happy you did it. It sounds funny. <laughs> it's, it's great. I highly recommend good luck finding that. I was going to say, can't you like not
1: find things on TikTok though? I I don't understand it. People send me things and I watch them and I find them funny, but like I've not perused it myself for any reason (sighs) other than I know it's like a deep dark hole and I'm like, don't engage. Just don't do it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's no, it's so addictive. I think you need to be able to decide that the content is worth the addiction mm, you know my sister calls it her programs she's gonna go watch her programs it's tiktok oh like yeah. like the 19th yeah i think it's the funniest thing i've ever heard <laughs> i love it she's like oh i'm gonna go watch my programs we're like it's tiktok stop <laughs> it's do you know what though it's true i mean it is just a form of entertainment absolutely we're off topic we're off topic i realize that. It's okay back, to, back, the back to the back to the court
1: yeah, back to the court. So Bayless testifies that the dog had been given morphia, which is not as effective as morphine, and six ounces of alcohol, mm-hmm. chloroform, and ether. Um, and okay. effectively, he says, yeah, we gave the dog a-, a form of anesthesia. And then a veterinarian said that the system he was using was unlikely to be adequate. I love that
2: veterinarian. Wherever you are. Alfred Sewell. You are. We love you. You're dead, but- Well done, bud. Great, dude. Great, dude. And then
1: another witness said he used too much anesthesia. And another one... A witness or a doctor? Another witness. It was Frederick Hobday. What a stupid name. Of the Royal Veterinary College. Interesting. So basically, there's two clear lines. Like, clearly, there are people who support vivisection and who don't. And they're going to follow that line to the ends of the earth. Like, it's so clear when you read some of this. Mm -hmm. Um, said the dog had been suffering from Korea, which is a disease that causes involuntary spasm. And that, you know, the women were just seeing that. And some other students said that the dog had seemed unconscious.
2: Yeah. That is a sneaky argument. Isn't it? But men, they see. Wow. Some people really go to great lengths to be evil. Get ready. We're not done. They do it with so much, uh, so much craft. Oh, it's horrifying. So That's really scary.
1: Um yeah. Coleridge's barrister call Lizzie and Lisa to the stand. They say that they were the first students to arrive and have been left alone with the dog. They saw scars from previous operations. They had not smelled the anesthetic. They hadn't seen any apparatus that was delivering the anesthetic. And they said that the dog was making a lot of severe movements that were violent and purposeful as of trying to get away. And mm-hmm. then Bayless's lawyer goes against Coleridge himself, he says that he was ridiculous for accepting the women's statements without seeking corroboration and for speaking about the issue publicly without first approaching Bayless, despite knowing that doing so could lead to litigation. Hmm. So basically he's like, Why you know, you're such an idiot for believing these two women. If you would just talk to the boys, we could have figured it out, you know? And then Coleridge says <laughs> right. he didn't seek verification because he knew that the claims, whatever they would be, would be denied, and that he believes That's the great. women. And Good. Then the Times wrote of that testimony, and I quote the Times. The defendant, when placed in the witness box, did as much damage to his own case as the time at his disposal for the purpose would allow.
2: Really? Mm-hmm.
1: It the, the papers are so against them. It's
2: wild. That's Dickens' paper, you said? No,
1: that's... Dickens' paper is the Daily... M- Daily News, excuse me. Okay. no
2: and was that one of the ones again no that's a I
1: radical remember. paper so they're there for it great um the times was clearly not so lord alverston alverstone i'm gonna say alverston is a dickwad we have a picture of him he
2: looks stupid um he it'll it'll probably be on the instagram it if better you check be. that out at the yeah <laughs> he
1: called the shambles of science quote hysterical
2: That's the quote. <laughs> and
1: advised the jury not to be swayed by arguments about the validity of vivisection. Uh,
2: so basically this trial... It's, it's just... Yeah. It's so easy to call women hysterical. Well, that's all they is. ever did.
1: That's, thats
2: It's just so easy. It's all anyone like, ever up, Put a little more thought into it. But do you
1: know what's sad? They didn't
2: have to. Yeah. That's all I they had to do. It's a bit of a moral death sentence. Truly. You're hysterical, that's it. (laughs) That's it. And to believe in. And so basically, he's saying
1: that this trial turned into is this about the validity of vivisection Mm -hmm. as a form of experimentation? And it should be about the defamation. But again, let's just say that Starling himself admitted to operating on the same animal twice, which is illegal. Right. So after retiring I mean, for 25 yeah. minutes, the jury unanimously found that Bayliss had been defamed. <laughs> to the applause of physicians in the public gallery. Jeez. He was awarded two thousand pounds with three thousand pounds in costs and Coleridge had to give him a check the next day.
2: That's quite a bit of money at that time, is it not? Yep. Great.
1: The Daily News did ask for donations to help cover Coleridge's costs, and they did pay him almost 6,000 pounds within four months. Jeez. And um, Bayless donated his damages to the UCL, University College London, for use in research. Mm-hmm. So the Times said it was happy with the verdict, although they criticized the rowdy behavior of medical students during the trial, accusing them of maybe my favorite term of all time medical hooliganism. That is a good term. It's a great term.
2: That's objectively, yes.
1: Yeah. So Many other papers said that the decision was a miscarriage of justice. Um, the initial publisher of the Chambers of Science apologized to Bayliss and withdrew the diary and passed its remaining copies to Bayliss's solicitors, which is just like, oh, fuck you all. Um, so the Animal Defense and Anti-Vivisection Society, which Lizzie founded um, in 1903, I think in preparation for this trial, although I haven't seen that, but I imagine it's the same timing, they republished that book and the chapter that was called fun was actually replaced by one called the vivisections of the Brown dog. And um, publishers wanted to have like revised editions because the book had a lot of impact. And eventually like Mark Twain, who was an anti-vivisectionist publishes a short story called a dog's tale, which was written from the point of view of a dog whose puppies experimented upon and killed. No. Yeah. Yeah. So no. It's he wrote that. I mean it's a it, it's like all of these things are happening and so this whole thing is called the Brown Dog affair which I had never heard of but I'm so glad I know about now. And It's a cute name. It's a great name. And so the government appoints a second royal commission on vivisection and Starling addresses the commission for three freaking days. Um and they basically there's a report that's issued saying that they should increase the number of full-time inspectors, restrict the use of a poison that's used to immobilize anima- animals during experiments, and that they said the animals should be adequately anesthetized and euthanized if the pain was likely to continue, and the experiment should not be performed as an illustration of lectures in medical schools and similar, but all the restrictions could be lifted if they could frust- if they would frustrate the object of the experiment. <laughs>
2: Oh, so anyone could say th- Yeah. Anyone could say that. Yeah. It's frustrating. <laughs>
1: exactly. So this kind of becomes this thing. There's a memorial that is made by um Anna Luisa Woodward, who's the founder of the World League Against Vivisection. It's a bronze statue of a dog. It's real cute. We'll show a picture of it. The dog mm-hmm. the statue has a drinking fountain for humans and then a little water bowl for dogs at the top.
2: Aww.
1: Yeah. Um, and they want to put it in Battersea because, and I quote, it's a crazy place. Basically, like Battersea is like super radical, and they're like, We'll put the anti-vivisection statue in Battersea, because it won't matter, and it's you know, whatever. And so they agree to do that, and the medical students get really pissed off because Anna Louisa Woodward decided to fan the flames a little bit. She she writes an inscription. In memory of the Brown Terrier dog done to death in the laboratories of University College in February 1903, after having endured vivisection extending over more than two months and having been handed over from one vivisector to another till death came to his release. Also in memory of the 232 dogs vivisected at the same place during the year of 1902. Men and women of England, how long shall these things be?
2: (laughs) That's not a fan. That's gasoline. Yeah. Love her. <laughs> Basically
1: medical students start rioting.
2: Oh, boo. Oh yeah.
1: I know. That's why it's kind of funny. And they start getting really angry at everyone. They start doing crazy things. There's destruction. There's men doing dumb things. I don't really care to go into it. People are fighting back against them a little bit. They go to Trafalgar square. They try and make speeches. Um, <laughs> Mounted police. Um, charges the crowd and one undergraduate alexander bully was arrested for barking like a dog it's something that
2: i love people really lose their minds they really do they believe in truly yeah. wow it's interesting because uh, you know they kind i mean they won i they they i know would be able to do whatever they wanted they freaking won so what's the deal they, they knew that she was mad she continued to express her anger, and they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Exactly.
1: <laughs> That's, we see ugh, it wild. time and again. I mean,
2: it's kind of, well, it is a little bit more defamation, honestly. Truly. But they didn't sue so, her. <laughs> I don't know. Ugh, ugh, messy, messy. Truly. So then,
1: <laughs> so Lizzie's speaking at a meeting in 1906. This is still happening, like years later. This continues for like 10 years almost. It's ridiculous. A hundred students disrupt the meeting. They throw chairs and stink bombs, and furniture was smashed, and clothing was torn. And, you know, basically, all of the liberal movements like trade unionists, socialists, Marxists, liberals in general, suffragettes they all rally around the brown dog statue. And, Mm -hmm. Because basically, quote, the brown terrier dog done to death, which is from the inscription, by the male scientific establishment united all of them. That's, I think that makes sense. It's it's part of that whole thing. And um, it became this symbol. So the brown dog affair, Carol Lansbury um, writes that, it became a matter of opposing symbols. The vivisected dog on the operating board blurred into images of suffragettes forced fed in Brixton pit Prison, or women strapped down for childbirth or forced to have their ovaries and uteruses removed as a cure for mania. The vivisected animal stood for vivisected women. And I mean, I think that's extremely powerful. I think that's 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 the crux of this argument. And this is at a time when, you know, Women are starting to become radicalized as suffragettes because they're seeing that they're not able to, you know, peaceful demonstrations aren't helping. And so some become radicalized. And then, of course, that that fuels the flames against them. So eventually the statue becomes too expensive to have security around. So they put it in a garden shed and then... Someone melts it down. And then in 1985, 75 years later, they make another statue. And then again, that one's in a um, like shed now. So.
2: Like right now, you mean?
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of in a shed. Is it right now? In a sh- Hold on, let me just check. It's in a shed. Okay, it was in a shed in 1992. It was reinstated in 1994. So it's so not it's- in a
2: shed. It was. So it's in a it's like in a garden somewhere. It's
1: in it's near the old English garden. Go see it, folks. Cool. It looks <laughs> yeah it's a weird statue. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Go fly to England right now. We have
1: listeners in England.
2: Oh yeah. Hey guys. Hey guys. What's up? Anyone want to give us citizenship? Um anyone okay.
1: Um <laughs> Yeah, f- fly us over. Fly us over. So <laughs> all throughout this, poor Lizzie. Not poor Lizzie. Lizzie's still fighting yeah. the good fight. Like I said before, she co-founded the Animal Defense and Anti-Vivisection Society in 1906 with the Duchess of Hamilton. And they organized the first anti-vivisection conference in London. That's international. I mean, she becomes this kind of incredible force. And part of that is that she sues, in 1913, she sues Dr. Caleb Salaby, the Pall Mall Gazette, who's owned by William Waldorf Astor. Their editor and the printer. Do we know who that is? William Waldorf Astor. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Waldorf Astoria? Yes. Th- that basic, yeah.
2: Waldorf, yeah. Waldorf, got it, got it, got it. They own. I,
1: I didn't. Hear- the Astor family is, yeah. They are. He's <laughs> wealthy, <laughs> unbelievably wealthy. He's like in charge of all the newspapers. He's in charge of like what the world gets to learn. Effectively,
2: she sues nice all of that them. Power. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. Um, Oh, that's that's bold. What? Wanting the power? That she sues them.
1: Oh, I know. So Salovey published two articles and he he did it because the anti-vivisection defense, the animal defense and anti-vivisection society had run some graphic vivisection displays in their shop. And people were horrified. And Salaby, in his article, accused Lizzie of a systematic campaign of falsehood. And she responds by suing them. And she had to represent herself in court because women were not, they legally couldn't be admitted as lawyers in the UK because they were not regarded as, quote, persons within the terms of the 1843 Solicitors Act. Great. So before when we said animals and people like women were not regarded as persons. Yeah. They weren't literally under the law.
2: Yet another example. Truly. So
1: this trial for background listeners, my, my dad's a lawyer. I know enough about what goes into a trial. He's a litigator Um, that like this astounded me (laughs) this, the numbers here. She broke a lot of records in this case. Um, for the number of words spoken, she, her opening Mm. statement lasted nine and a half hours.
2: Mm. What?
1: Her evidence was nine hours. She was cross examined for eight and a half hours, which I will say, um, oh my gosh, you're incredible. How'd you do it?
2: Can you, can you give us a normal time to compare it to? I don't
1: know, like an hour. Maybe depending on the case, like it all depends on the case. But for this, like I used to listen to my dad practice his opening statements and they'd be 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the case. Mm -hmm. And my dad would do a lot of criminal trials, so they would go a bit longer um, Mm -hmm. sometimes because he had to include a lot of evidence and stuff um, and Mm -hmm. talk about what the other side was going to do. Trials can last weeks, and I get that, but most of that time is not spent in a nine-and-a-half-hour-long opening statement. It's spent, like, cross-examining, like, 1,500 witnesses, and, you know, so
2: she's- what? what was her, what's her aim? What's her angle here? Her angle is- Is, is she passionate? Is it a strategy? Unbelievably it... passionate.
1: Basically, she becomes known as a distinguished orator because of this trial. She, according to the New York Times, said, uttered, they said uttered, Two hundred and ten thousand words. Who's counting? They did. Who's
2: counting her words. And
1: she had asked over twenty thousand questions of thirty-four witnesses.
2: But again, to clarify, this is just because she's passionate about it. It isn't yeah. because her strategy is to
1: Like wear everyone down. No, I think this is yeah. this is part of her case. Um the judge said that she had cross-examined as well as any barrister could have done. And his quote is that her final speech, which I will repeat was three and a half hours was a very fine one. She is a woman of marvelous power. Day after day, she showed no signs of fatigue and did not lose her temper.
2: But I still voted against her. Yep. (laughs) Okay. They,
1: (laughs) I have the New York Times article. um, Uh... Her final statement was, I have not come here to ask you to give me thousands of pounds of damages. I have come come to say what I think about this matter. I have come because I know that this charge against me is untrue and false. I should have been willing to die for the cause. It is a thousand times more difficult to live for a cause than to die for it. And if these were the last words I should speak, I do say that I am innocent of this charge, that I am a fraudulent liar, and that I consciously utter falsehoods and attack people fraudulently.
2: And they said, okay, yeah, 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 sounds good. Anyways, you're guilty. Yeah, so it was...
1: that's right. It was an action for libel. So yeah, they 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 vote against her, and then a vegetarian dinner was held in her honor.
2: Wait, what? <laughs> by
1: the by the by her people, by her people.
2: Is she like in jail right now? No, 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 no.
1: She she just it's a, I think it was a civil case. So she loses a fine. Yeah. Okay.
2: And her friends are like, "Cheer up, kid. Here's a vegetarian dinner. We're so
1: proud of you. You did a good job. Um, yeah." <laughs>
2: So hey, she, it's better than it's better than her, you know, going home to nothing. It's true, very true.
1: She becomes really um, committed during the First World War to help uh, horses that were hurt in battle because they were still being used in battle. She set up a um, like a, what I think it was called, like the Purple Cross or something, and it was for. Um, horses that were retired after being injured, uh, during the war, she sets up the, or joins the international committee of women for permanent peace. She is part of the anti-war movement and, Mm -hmm. um, it, it all, again, this is kind of part of the same, they're all part of the same kind of movement. And so she just continues this fight. She continues working toward, um, you know, women's causes and also for, The abolition of the sex, uh, vivisectionism, and other things. She sees, you know, that it's almost part of a religious thing for her. She believes that, you know, the souls of the animals and the souls of all of us are the same thing. She says that not only is vivisection like cruel to the animals, it's also not good science. And she told the royal commission on vivisection that she had and i quote no objection to vivisection provided that the vivisectors experiment on themselves
2: oh, iconic truly um and they were like what no that's, no. Not, that's not how it worked that's no. not what we're they wouldn't work like that <laughs> yes love it
1: truly love it so there's not too much written about her later years. In like in 1913, she publishes a biography of a really sexist author where she's like, Yeah, it's he's also a playwright. I like his work, but he's a dick to women. And the book was like very widely oh, acclaimed.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the one you mentioned earlier. Yes.
1: Um, and then like I said, she's very active during World War II mm-hmm. and is still part of the same movements that, you know, were kind of fueling her. So she and the Duchess of Hamilton are still very good friends and they, so I'm kind of skipping forward in years just because the Brown dog affair is where it's at. You know what I mean? Um, but I in, do know what you mean. in 1950, she's 73. She attends the Hague world Congress for the protection of animals. And then in 1954, she and the Duchess of Hamilton, Um, Well, with the estate of the Duchess of Hamilton, who had passed away in 1951, they found a 237 acre animal sanctuary near uh, in Dorset. And she runs that um, effectively until she passes away in 1963 um, at the ripe old age of 85, which is solid. Wow. Yeah. She... um, all of her assets were transferred to the Animal Defense Trust which hmm. continues to offer grants for animal protection issues to this day
2: that's sweet yeah and i think we like i like that turnaround we
1: love all of it she was so prolific she had so many books published and i wish it were easier to read most of them i imagine you could request some of your local library it's just wonderful to again i feel like i've been on a theme with women who have been writers or have read us left us written um, works because it's such a pleasure to read their own um, voices. And it's not something that um, for the majority of my life as a historian, I've been able to do. And I, I love, she's very cheeky. She's, you know, so committed. Um, I think, you know, it, I just love, that she continued this fight and worked toward a cause that she was so, so, so passionate about. Even though, again, literally the laws were against her and didn't recognize mm-hmm. that she was a human being and um, had rights of her own. She still continued all of that. So yeah, Lizzie lindoff hoggaby killing it. That's beautiful. Thank you. She she was really solid. She has a great couple of photos that we'll post of her. What, Ooh, someone said- that. Some guy thought that he thought he'd find a really ugly woman because she's, you know, radical. And instead he found <laughs> a pretty little plump woman with kind brown eyes, eyes that twinkle. She was not even dowdy and undecorative. Her blue dress was pretty as anyone could wish. Cause that's what matters.
2: I I hated that. <laughs> I'm so angry. I hated that so much. (laughs) And then he
1: wrote that he was almost converted to vegetarianism by her straight, hard logic.
2: You know what? If that's what makes it work, fine. Fine. (laughs) If that's what he needs, fine. Ugh, hate it. She wasn't even that plain looking. She wasn't even ugly, and she wore nice clothes. Whoa. A blue
1: dress. I don't understand. (laughs) I thought all active women were hideous.
2: And suddenly I thought, maybe animals do deserve rights. (laughs) You know? Uh, The mind of a man. It must be full of nothing and scary things (laughs) at the same time. And that's why we talk about historically badass broads.
1: (laughs) Because they're, like, for example, I've never heard of Lizzie and she's so
2: cool. Why didn't we hear about Lizzie? And now everyone who made the decision to tune in and listen to this point of the podcast now knows about her. That's very and that's true. that's wild. That makes me happy. Go
1: look her up, guys. Look up, read more.
2: Yeah, and if, you know... Or if not... not to plug our Instagram yeah. again. But if you're not following it, you could follow it and then you would see some very nice images. I like our Instagram. That's because Chloe does a great Taken job. Taken straight from Google images. <laughs> 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 but with One excellent- day we might get copyrighted.
1: We'll see. We're not touting them as our own. We're saying, look, this is this person. Sure. And I make sure that they've been dead for a while. So, you know.
2: Yes. That. <laughs> the dead and historically, you know. <laughs> it is important. And I don't want it to anger important. family members. So. <laughs> there you go. There you Oh, go. wow. I've never thought about that. Oh, yeah. We might be angering estates. You know I love drama. I
1: do. I was going to say, well. (laughs) Well, then, when that
2: happens, we should be like Lizzie. Drop us a
1: line. (laughs) We should be like Lizzie and have a nine and a half hour long opening statement.
2: Yeah, we'll represent ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) Like a 23-day trial. Yeah, we'll make it work. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm confident in our abilities to do that. I believe in us. I believe in us, too. Oh, my God, Chloe. Stop. (sighs) (sighs) Well... That concludes this month, I guess. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks so much for all that you do. Yeah. You know, I hope you were doing something fun while you listened to this.
1: I hope so, too. Maybe you're walking your dog. I'd like to think (laughs) that. Your little brown dog. Your little brown dog.
2: (laughs) Well, we will see you in exactly one month. (laughs) I feel like I sound like um, a Spongebob person. No, no, no. The Lawrence Welk show. Oh, I like yeah, you kind of do. Right? Mm. And this month on another month. Oh, no, it's things. creepy. Stop it. I don't like it. <laughs> <No>. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.